we should rename these Kathy's Kitchen because I sort of feel like we're all vested now or invested in learning what happens, what it's going to look like. It feels like it's been one long tease, like we've not even seen any of this tantalising <laughs> kitchen development. We just can hear it faintly in the background. That, that we could just hear it every darn episode. We know it's happening, we just don't know what it looks like. You know, they're quiet all day, and then as soon as I think they hear me go, hey, Jess, are you ready? And they get the drills out and the saws out, and we're nearly there. So um, How long has it we'll taken? It does feel like forever forever it's taken they're lovely builders but it's taken significantly longer than it should have done about five months for one room five months what are you doing you so you're not just having a new kitchen presumably is this like a no we've had the whole building the whole side of the building knocked down the whole original kitchen has now gone and been rebuilt in a glass cube much bigger okay so it's an extension we've had the old kitchen it's an extension really we had the old kitchen put back in again but with great faff and grandeur so wow yeah i think we should drop like a special featured episode when it's all ready come round and i'm sure it'll work really well on radio we'll (laughs) (laughs) we'll do an audio tour of the new kitchen five months kathy yeah. Have you been eating beans off of a camping stove for five months? Do you know, we lived surprisingly well because I was all for... Kitchen, oh, was it, it's fine, we'll just get a... We'll just have a microwave and that'll be okay. And uh, my husband went, no, that's not how this is going to go. <laughs> and he's quite handy, so he built this fabulous little galley kitchen under our stairs in the basement wow. can't stand up in it but it's got a sink and an induction hob a little plug-in one and a microwave that thinks it's an oven it's got delusions of grandeur wow. um but we've worked we've been fine i'm ready for my kitchen back now then. i can imagine and productivity wise i imagine that a smaller kitchen is more difficult although you know, I remember mm. years ago, Heston Blumenthal bought out that book, uh, the Fat Duck Cookbook, I think, that really huge oversized thing in a slip cover, beautiful. And the first bit of that is all about his sort of journey into professional cooking, I suppose, and buying that pub in Bray, which is now the Fat mm. Duck, and how it's this tiny little, you know, couple of metres by couple of metres square kitchen. But if you're really hot on efficiency, you can make it work for yourself. So maybe there's a lesson for us all there. Maybe he is. I'd love to see him in my kitchen under the stairs, though. He might struggle with that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we digress massively, and they've stopped drilling, so we can hear each other speak, let alone ourselves think. Perfect. What have we got this week? Oh, well, this is the one I've been looking forward to for ages, because it it really had a big impact on me, our celebrity guest this week. So I am super excited. I think I picked the biggest straw when I got to speak to our celeb guest this week. Um, Starting to feel like, um, yes, you definitely did. I'm fairly (laughs) jealous. I'm always jealous of who you get to interview. Um, Uh, But I'm very jealous. So we'll be talking a little bit about the influence that uh, he, um, which I'm not not going to tell you who it is. We'll wait until a little bit later on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Has had on me over the last couple of days. And it's come perfectly because the weather is just stunning. Got a little, uh, you know, stretch of nice weather. So all of the flowers around. And I thought maybe we might, I don't know, don't know how you feel, we might be able to do a sort of flower special this week, Cathy, and talk about flowers. 
Definitely. And then we can get on to the Instagram and yes. um, as I believe the young folk call it. <laughs> or the gram. The <laughs> gram. On the gram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, they're too busy to say the full yeah, word, right? are they? Right, okay. <laughs> too lazy. <laughs> Uh, at, um, and see how everyone else is doing it. Yeah, we'd like that. I think we should have another little competition as well. You know how we've had a cocktail competition and uh, we could have a little competition with flower arranging that we could set some little... Love it. It's like the village shows come early. I love this. <laughs> we could do splat the rat. Uh, you're probably not allowed to do that anymore, actually. Are you? You'd probably sort of coax the rat and talk to it about alternative behaviours that you would prefer now with, in a non-violent mm-hmm. form. Um, uh, and then I've got a corker of a book of the week, like Corker. I think it is the <laughs> series best book <gasps> of the week. It's a phenomenal. This is that's a big claim. Yeah, it's, it, I've read it and love it, and I want other people to read it and love it as well. So uh, yeah, it's a big claim, but yeah, yeah it's there. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, and then obviously, I'd like to hear what you've been doing with Hadley because. Uh, I'm not really walking Marley. I don't know where he is now, actually. Uh, <laughs> the responsible dog owner that I am. Hadley's asleep under the desk as he is and has been for every single episode. He has. I'm not entirely so sure. Far. You should maybe just check he's okay. Because for the last yeah, five weeks, he's been under that desk sleeping. Yeah. He did have quite a long walk this morning, run oh. this morning. So more of which later. Lovely. Um, so what have you been up to? What have you been doing? It's been busy in the garden. Um, I have... A fair number of pests this year, which is annoying. Not the kind of ones I'm used to, like um, blackfly and, you know, all the things that you would you would expect, but fairly savvy ones. Mm. I've told you about my sparrow, my marauding sparrows already, haven't no. I, I think? Oh, I'm sure. The blackbirds you've spoken about. Oh, yes, well, we've had blackbirds. Well, they've now passed the message on to the marauding sparrows who move as like a flock. There's about 12 of them and they just descend, strip the leaves off your lettuce and then fly away like big fat lettuce slugs on the lettuce that's what they're looking for no they just they just shred the leaves of the baby lettuces and the baby beetroot anything from nutrients from that enough to bother with that well they're busy so i've tried feeding them as an alternative i've put a bird topped made sure the bird feed is topped up not interested they just want my lettuces. Perhaps you should put the lettuce in the bird feeder. Stop. Yes, well, I could, couldn't I? I could. And then we have a mole. Ah, yeah, mm. so do I. Oh, I saw him yesterday in... as well. Did you? Yeah, you don't normally see them, but we were walking around the garden and I saw this little furry thing, scamper. Marley saw it first and I saw, oh... That's a mole. And then he was sort of running around on top of the bed. He wasn't going into it. So I don't know whether perhaps he was poorly. So I tried to grab him by the tail. Because got, they've got tiny little fluffy tails. Um, have you ever stroked a mole? No. Oh, they are, they're like velvet. They're one of the... Soft... Did you pick him up and give him a cuddle and then put him up? Well, no, because they're, they're, <laughs> I, as I went to pick him up, I remembered that they're very bitey. They're, they're not very friendly unless they're dead. Uh, and I've mm. seen lots of dead moles... Um, so, uh, and I, you know, they're so strokey. I mean, they're tiny little things for the massive damage that they do. Mess, yeah. Gorgeous. So, yeah, it's how funny. So I saw one just mess. last night. So, what it, there you go. is this pushing stuff up? Is that what you've got the problem? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's, um, it, it visited last year. I'm assuming it's the same one. 
maybe it's not. It visited last year and it was jolly annoying. Uh, and this year, and then it went away in the late summer. And now it's back almost exactly the same time. Yes, well, it's mating season. A year season, later. That's why. I think we're a sort of holiday destination as well. <laughs> it's like, particularly, that would so go with mating season. My veg patch is just date night for the moles, basically. I think they must go, I've got a great restaurant booking for this <laughs> evening, darling. It's an all you can why eat. Why don't you buffet. come with me? <laughs> we'll eat the roots of the green beans first and then we'll move on to digging up all the baby radishes. That'll be fun. I don't know how to get rid of them because when I first moved in during the organic transition period, I wanted to obviously do everything friendly and nicely and, and to organic standards. And so I bought something called a mole plant. I forget what the proper plant name is. Um, it, it's, it grows very, very tall, like a bottle brush with these yeah. long... Uh, tapered, very thin leaves, slightly variegated, uh, the whole way up. That does look like a sort of fluffy bottle brush or leafy bottle brush. But apparently it wards them off. And I thought, well, that's sensible. And then mm. I thought, well, if you've got a small bit of garden, then it probably would, you know, the, you know ward them off of that little area and then yeah. you could plant a couple. But... When you've got an acre, you're basically creating a mole plant forest. So I realised very quickly this was pointless because it might keep away from that bit, but they've got all of that bit over there to go and dig up. So uh, that didn't work for me. And then there are little things that stick in the ground and they emit little noises like, Mm -hmm. go away, Mr. Mole. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they sound like. They're too, obviously, it's not my uh, frequency, but I imagine that's what they sound like. Um, That didn't work. Then somebody said, oh, why don't you try sticking a hose pipe down and flooding it? And I thought, you don't, I don't think you understand how soil and water <laughs> work. But I won't try that, thanks. Uh, <laughs> and then somebody suggested, mm, I don't want to upset our listener. So should we just call it a metal mole cuddle? Yes, <laughs> yes. Should we call it that? Yes. Um, and that did work twice. Did it? And then I didn't like the idea of giving them such a tight cuddle, so I stopped doing it. <laughs> so now, <laughs> now I just scoop the molehill up and put it somewhere because it's really Aww. good, lovely, fluffy, aerogated soil. Lovely soil, yeah. isn't it? I know, I know. And I have tried everything. So my veg beds are now planted with mole bulbs, which apparently work for a sort of square two cubic meters it's a it looks like an allium bulb and i think it might be but doesn't grow but it it must be a scent or something it's supposed to detract them um and that didn't work but then somebody said if you plant garlic well as i was listening to them say plant garlic i could literally see the mole digging underneath (laughs) the row of garlic bulbs so that wasn't going to work and then somebody else told me that you should put cayenne pepper down. Uh, so I put cayenne pepper like around yeah, the hole. Nothing. Then somebody said do that with garlic granules. Same. Didn't work. And then I got these organic repellents, that's, um, pellets that smell like predator. Right. Whatever that is. Whichever. So now I have really stinky raised beds yeah. and I still have moths. That smell like bears. Yeah. Now you've got, you've got no bears, but lots of moles. 
And a very confused Spaniard who kind of runs up and down the veg beds. Like, what is this yeah. smell? It's so odd. <laughs> Mum, we've got bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So if anyone knows what to do with their moles other than a very Our... long cuddle, <laughs> strong, long cuddle. The iron cuddle, with a... yeah. <laughs> Please let me know because it's... Doing my Our idea. Instagram at Roots Wings Podcast is going to be a wash with old wives' tale um, <laughs> remedies for to, to getting rid of deterring mould. I think that's great. I will test them all. <laughs> what about you? How's your gardening week been? Well, I've not. I've had quite a lot of work, and I'm very tired. I've had quite a lot of late nights, but I uh, am loving more than I can tell you. This the garden's really come into its own this year because obviously this is only year. F- Four, and actually really only year three of the dense planting um, mm. because the first year was really about creating defining the areas and zones and doing a bit of loose planting so it's really only the third season so just this year with that long period of dormancy we had at the beginning of sort of spring he says in inverted commas spring in inverted commas and, yes um, into summer with even heavier inverted commas and underlined um it <laughs> And now that bit of warmth, long period of sunshine, we've had lots of rain. I'm just seeing it go crazy. And do you know what, Cathy? It's delightful. So I'm cutting. The rose walkway looks phenomenal. There are, like, mm. every single bush is just covered in roses. So, uh, and, they're, and they're climbing and creating arches. And so I'm cutting loads of flowers. I'm cutting loads of mint really hard to arrange in uh, vases for lots of dense greenery and then putting cat mint and aquilegia in it to create the splashes of colour and uh, like dense rose arrangements. And I'm just... Oh, 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 and in the jewel garden, this was a total surprise, there's like this wild wash, this swaving kind of um, uh, river of uh, field scabious. And it looks... There are three or four different colours of field scabious a really really light pink one a light mauvey purple one a dark red one and a sort of in-betweeny one which I don't know whether that's to do with soil or what but I didn't I don't think I found or you didn't plant them I don't them. think I bought didn't I did put the field scabious in only a couple but they've spread and they're oh it looks gorgeous I'm loving it that's so brilliant that's what I've been you doing. sound so Monty Don when you talk about the jewel garden <laughs> as well I love it <laughs> do you know what's really funny is most people think it's a jewel they say, oh, why, why, uh, why is it two? Well, they think I'm saying D-U-A-L, dual. Dual garden. Dual <laughs> garden, yeah. As a part of that, I'll share what's been on my peg list. I'm just going to lean down and get a piece of paper. Um, on my... I thought you were going to lean down and get your peg with it still attached. Uh, no, but this is my to... peg list. Um, okay. On my peg list is, uh, is ceilings. I've got this obsession with creating height and cover. So there was a path down the side of the house and I put a couple of archways because it's quite a boring, it's sort of, it, it goes house, concrete path, a bit more garden. And I didn't like the, the sort of segmentation or whatever that was. Mm. So I put a couple of archways, they've been there a couple of years and the clematis is just starting now to cover those arches or something. There's some jasmine down there as well that I'm training over. And then I thought, well, it's such a long path, maybe... I'll cover the whole thing, join the whole lot with clematis netting all across the top. And then, of course, I'm going to have this amazing carpet ceiling of living clematis and and jasmine to encase you down this little dark corridor with amazing smell. So 
That sounds wonderful. That's what I've been doing. And I wanted to ask you whether that was something you think that you could do because we've spoken a little bit before about what to do in small gardens and growing up rather than across uh, and there's lots of things you can encourage up um, even just on you know single poles but i wondered mm. whether creating ceilings and sort of like little walkways in your garden or something out of living things might be something that our listeners might want to think about do you know i think it's really easy to do at home and it's my tip would be to start with peas so there are a few varieties, and I'm just trying a few out this year, so I'll let you know how it goes, mm. of really tall peas that grow a sort of metre and a half, two metre high like, peas. like which runner is, beans? Oh, no, they're beans, aren't uh, they? You mean peas? I mean peas, yeah, like sugar snaps and mange too okay, and stuff. Yeah. But they grow, most of those varieties will grow about a metre or so right. high, but some will grow nearly two metres wow. high. Um, the plant, not the individual pea, obviously, <laughs> you know what I mean. Carrying Just checking, in you look at this slightly peas. glazed look. I mean, like, two metre long bonge too? No one could eat that. <laughs> um, and I've built a very ramshackle, but I quite like ramshackle, yeah. willow arch Lovely. between two of my beds because I was running out of space. All of these mange too had... Oh. Um, germinated really well so I thought I'll build an arch Clever. with a bit of pea netting at the bottom pea and pea uh, canes at the bottom yeah. plant my tall mange too which are also super pretty because they've got purple leaves sure. this uh, purple flowers this variety one's called summer blush and the other one I can't remember the name I'll have a check and we'll put it in the show yeah. notes um have these lovely coloured flowers so they're a bit sweet pea-like in that regard Amazing. so I'm going to grow them over this archway yes. between the two veg beds which are only about 60 centimetres apart anyway so a I can walk under oh, them and it'll be beautiful and it'll add some height to the patch but also it won't take up very much space I never even thought about that so all you're doing is you can plant them literally right at the very edge of the bed yeah. so where the planks are and then they're yeah. going to grow together up and over over the over a path that is a and i'll stand idea. underneath and just pluck a mange yes. too and it, with a basket of course yeah. and and sing <laughs> and, and, a, and a long sort of flowy skirt that just drifts gently in the breeze singing this is what i always do when i'm in the garden <laughs> honestly hey i want to pick you up on something on you i watched your Uh-oh. instagram the other day at um your own personal one at the mm, veg... at gluts underscore gluttony everyone yes uh, at the veg patch and you mm. were planting tomato plants or repotting mm. now what's mm. the deal here so you were you had these humongous pots and said oh you know i don't know if they'll be big enough with your back of your hand on your forehead all wistfully and i thought <laughs> don't know if they're big enough that they're about 55 times bigger than a grow bag and you're, that you normally put four in and you're saying, oh, you know, I don't know if that 25-litre bucket will be big enough. So what's the deal yeah. with tomatoes, Cathy? Have we all been doing it well, wrong? Well, I think I might have always been doing it wrong. So I, until a few years ago, grew my tomatoes in the ground in somebody else's greenhouse. Yes. Um, but then... <laughs> I couldn't use that greenhouse anymore. They dumped me, basically. They were very lovely about it, and they said it was them, not me. But (laughs) anyway, 
then I didn't have a greenhouse to grow in anymore. So I started growing them in pots. And I'd always thought it was fairly successful. It's outside, so they're not quite as uh, prolific as they are inside. And they're a bit more troublesome to deal with. But it was fine. But then I heard, I think it was probably St. Monty, saying a tomato plant root needs a cubic metre of soil. No! And I was... I know. It's possible I dreamt this, but I don't think I did. I'm fairly sure that's what I've heard. I thought they had little shallow roots and didn't need any roots. Well, and when you grow them, as so many people do, in grow bags, as you say, they're only a few inches deep. And the roots spread along and everything. But, you know, so I went for slightly bigger pots than I would usually have used in previous years. But they're still not... Mm the required meter cubic meter size so they're coming along okay i'll keep you posted Mind you, and we'll I see how we get on. they're pretty adaptable tomato plants aren't they like if you kept mm. it in a tiny little pot you'd get a couple of tomatoes and they wouldn't be very big yeah. so i suppose it would make sense that the bigger the container you put them in the more they're going to grow the more nutrients they're going to yeah. take the bigger the fruit the tastier the healthier the fruit they're going to be so i suppose scalability probably is so we shouldn't. I didn't want people to be watching it and thinking, or oh, now that I've brought it up, be thinking, oh, I've been doing it wrong, and that's not how you're supposed to do it. I suppose it's probably one of those very forgiving crops that'll just sort of grow wherever. But the more help you give it, the better it will do. Maybe the better it will be. Yeah, I like think cucumbers. it really pays off. Yes, I think husbandry pays off with cu- with cucumbers and tomatoes and all those and aubergines as well. Because I tried so. putting them in a in a window box this year just to tidy them up in the greenhouse, and then I saw that and thought, well. Jez Rose, you mean tomato <laughs> grower, you. So well, they're going in Well, let's big pots keep now. it as an experiment. Keep yours in the smaller pots and we'll see what happens. I might keep one So, in other words, in just pot. sacrifice your heart. Yes, yes, so that you can have lovely so ones and show can, off. So yeah. that I can be right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine, I will. So I'll, we'll compare ceilings as well. <laughs> let's. Um, we still don't have a book of the week jingle. No, we don't, do we? No. We'll work on it. <laughs> we'll work on it. But uh, maybe it could go. This podcast is at that point where it's getting sleek. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Book of the Week. Did you just make that just up? Just off the top of my head, and I know what you're thinking. There was a lot I mean, of work that went into that. But no, just literally off the top of my head. Impressive. Mm. I'll get it worked up onto <laughs> something more in tune. Into a CD. We could sell them in the shop. <laughs> Or never miss an opportunity for merchandise, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I've got tomato oh, plant pots to buy, and they're not cheap. <laughs> uh, shall I go with my book of the week? Yes, let's have a look. I can't seeing wait. As, seeing as yours is so, apparently so incredible. Yep. Well, I'm really pleased with mine. Mine is a bit of a curveball this week because I know we've been going in the growing y, gardening y, nature y vibe with a bit of cooking thrown yep. in. I've gone 100% cooking <laughs> this week. My book of the week is by MFK Fisher, and it's called How to Cook a Wolf. <laughs> if you've not heard of MFK Fisher, she, to give her a full name, Mary Frances Kennedy Fisher, she's an, was an American writer. She died in 1992. She was born in 1908. And she's written 20, 30 books. 
about food and travel, very memoir-heavy. Um, she wrote one book called Consider the Oyster, and it's a tiny little book, and it's all about oysters. <laughs> and, she, and at first you go, oh, Lord, I'm really not that interested in oysters. But she makes it so fascinating. And she spends... For example, in one of her other books, which I think is hilariously called The Gastronomical Me, which makes her sound like that character out of Harry Potter. He's always <laughs> got a memoir out, hasn't he? Um, he it's, she writes a whole great long few hundred pages about this one dinner wow. that she has. And she goes into great detail. And it sounds like it's going to be really boring, but she's so witty and she's so funny. If you're on YouTube... Here's a picture of her. I mean, she's like a young Catherine really Hepburn. She's, and actually her writing is the same. A little bit curt, very funny, very confident. She's like an untroubled Virginia Woolf, I would say. And <laughs> she writes... Yeah, she writes so beautifully. Um, this is... I'm so confident of her writing that I've not read this book. It's the only one of her books I haven't read. And I haven't read it because I was looking for this particular edition, mm -hmm. which, if you're listening to us rather than watching, is a beautiful... It's a soft cover, but it's a really beautifully illustrated cover. And it's published by Daunt Publishing, who own the bookshops, Daunt Books. And they've done a couple of her books in this version and I was trying to collect them and they're not always very easy to get hold of. So I found this in, in their bookshop oh, yesterday. Lovely. So I'm... Smells oh, of new books, new which books I love. Now. Oh, I love that. Oh. Um, and I would really recommend it. It's very um, urban and it's very much about travel and glamorous glasses of vintage champagne and exotic dinners in Nice and that kind of thing. Um, this one was written in 1942, so it has a slightly different vibe to it. Same kind of wit mm. and charm, but there's much more of the war spirit in this. She's trying to keep everyone's pecker up. It sounds up like and, a really lovely um, hence, escape book. Exactly, yeah. It's very evocative, yeah. so... Uh, it's MFK Fisher, and it's called How to Cook a Wolf. Love that. Do you know what the only trouble yeah. with Book of the Week? When it was Book of the Month, it was okay. Because I could sort of keep on top of it. But Book of the Week, almost every book that you recommend I buy. Like the Secret Life of Cows is arriving today from the other episode, from the other week. Brilliant. Um, I forget all the other, but I've, I've ordered almost every book that you've recommended. It's what I like. Well, sort of, but I've had to start turning the spines down on my library here and upstairs so that I know which ones I've got to read because <laughs> it's stacking up. Don't you have a bit. shelf? Oh, I have a shelf. Oh, a the, separate... The to-be-read shelf. Oh. I mean, that would be a big... It's it's getting close to 50 books. <laughs> I think what I'm saying is my name is Jez Rose and I have a reading problem. Well, no, I don't have a, I have a mm. buying book problem is what I have. You have a book addiction. Yeah. What's your book of the week then, my darling? You said it was the best ever. I so think come this on then. might be book of Hit the series. With it. This is Roots, Rings, and Other Things, Series 3, book of the series. It's phenomenal. What I know is that people are going to love it because um, we haven't had that many hardback books. This is a hardback book. Um, it's got incredible f photographs in it for a start, but, it, but it's just a stunner. Some, some books 
it's, it's beautifully produced, but some books come along and they stand out from all the other books. It's relatively new. Um, it, it's called From the Veg Patch by, <laughs> by Kathy Slack. <laughs> and, and what I love about it is that racingly gorgeous, flashy yellow spine, right? So it just... That oh, for me, Jesus, this is shameless. that for me is evocative <laughs> of what you're going to get inside. Now you didn't know that I was going to pick this book, and, and I've got two because I feel like I need to recover the embarrassment that I imagine you'll be feeling. So there's a couple of things I love about this that make it special, and and that's before you even get to the inside. And I think whoever your publishers are and your editors are, they have done an incredible job on this because that racy yellow there that excites you it sort of grips your eyes and you think oh that's completely different it's happy it's vibrant it's punchy it grabs your attention there's raised print here so your title has got this slightly um raised uh, uh over print here which is just gorgeous and the font hello i spent 20 minutes trying to find out what font that was because it's freaking gorgeous and then you've got this earthy tone in so honestly the production of this is gorgeous so anyway skip all past that because that stuff that i'd imagine you know is the is the relatively easy bit this is the complicated stuff inside and with any cookery book i sort of flick through and stop and I go well let me see where i get to look at that absolutely gorgeous photography that's you well done you um and it's got that sort of earthy normalness about it there's so much pretentiousness and so much otherworldliness about many cookbooks that you think oh that's nice but i can't really get there that's what i love about nigel slater and this has got a touch of the nigel slater about it and i really hope you're not offended by that um writing that down <laughs> thank you darling um, and, gosh and, and it, it feels the tone and the the photography it feels fun the layout is unlike anything but what i really really love is it's so classic you know what really pisses me off about cookbooks is you read like nine pages of waffle and then you get to this sort of odd, overly creative um, layout. This is all you need. It's this gorgeous, serves this many. This is how long it's going to take. These are the ingredients. This is the bloody recipe, but with a bit of gorgeous like background in there as well. And there's the image. Kathy, I know it's you and it's sort of... In some ways, it, it, I guess my association with you sort of weakens or belittles this. I cannot tell you how beautiful and genuinely excited I am about this book for you. It, it is, it really does stand out. It really does. So um, oh. I, I honestly, you don't get a choice in this. This is the book of the series. Um, You're so lovely. I'm so touched, Bessie. I had no idea you were going to do that. Um, it's, it's just Oh, and gorge. I really... Welling up slightly. Thank but you. That's really, I'm really touched. Have, but what's your actual book? I've got book an alternative book, <laughs> okay. which is still a hardback book. It's called When I Were a Lad uh, Snapshots from a Time That Health and Safety Forgot. <laughs> because <laughs> as I, I was going to choose a different book today, and then I thought, no, I'm going to go with Kathy's because I'm just so overwhelmed by it. I, I just love it. Love, love, love it. I can't stop looking at it and touching it. Um, but uh, I almost put the hori hori through my hand the other day uh, and it made me laugh and then very, very nearly snipped off my little finger with my extremely sharp Japanese secateurs last night. So when I was getting a little bit carried away with <laughs> cutting chunks of cat mint for my flower display. Dear and then I remembered this and I thought, what a great... This is one of those coffee books, coffee table books, the sort of book you might find in somebody's loo when you go to their... pop around to their toilet. Um... 
You've got some great. I'm going to share five with you for to encourage you to come visit us on YouTube. You've got the, the sort of pictures like this, you know, a, a kid biting a puppy. <laughs> Um, and it's the fact that they're all genuine photographs that have been taken. There's a brilliant one here of a policeman teaching kids how to box properly. Not like that, son, like that. That's it. Right in around the head. That's it. Properly. With your gloves on. Um, then we've got, uh, I mean, we've got girls swinging around lampposts. We've got little kids um, uh, throwing logs at each other. Let me find a couple of these. Some of these are brilliant. There's one of a group of kids who have gone to visit a beekeeper. <laughs> And there are bees everywhere, and they've all been told, obviously, to go and, you know, stand round and have their photograph taken with the beekeeper. And the beekeeper is the only person in a beekeeping outfit with any protection <laughs> on. And all these other kids are there, sort of squinting their eyes, all in this black and white photo. <laughs> that's it. Show yourselves that you're having fun. We're going to give it to your parents. Um, but there's uh, that's right up your street, isn't one it? One in particular that I wanted to beekeeper. show you. Yes, exactly that. Yeah, exactly. Which is. <laughs> Um, this archery lesson. This looks like such a hoot, it, and it looks like a really nicely produced book yeah, as well. From what I can it's, see, it's really cute. It's a really, and they're all genuine. Uh, you know, just somebody's gone off and collated all these things that they've had people do. You know, children far too close to things, or um, and has it got captions with them? Yes, as well? little captions that whoever has uh, edited it, uh, Andrew Davies, has decided to. They've written funny captions. Here we go. To go this is it. it. Everybody looked on the bright side. They didn't expect things to go wrong. And this is the archery lesson at school. You've got all the kids stood cuddled around the archery uh, target so they can see how close they get. And then the one kid over here drawing back their bow and their arrow as they send it hurtling, hopefully, towards the target. Um, yeah. Right through all the children. Exactly that. So it's silly little things. There was one on holiday. I mean, some of them are hor horrific now when you look at them for a number of reasons. But there are... There's an alligator here with its mouth propped up with a stick and three children stood on its back as a holiday sh snapshot. Um, so, yes, it's Portico. When I were a lad, snapshots from a time that health and safety forgot uh, and it's compiled by uh, Andrew Davis. But there is a there's a, a follow-up version as well. But um, that's a silly one. I'll... That's the proper one that you want to get from the uh, match. Oh, thank you, lovely. <laughs> that's really nice of you. Oh. I'm going to move on from my blushes, which you can see on YouTube if you're watching this. I'm quite glad you can't hear my blushes because I am. Um, I want to talk to you about flowers. Okay. Because we've interviewed quite a few people who are interested in flowers mm -hmm. for this series, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. Some of them are still to come. Yes. Um, and one of the things that I really noticed, and I've noticed in my own gardening as well, is that I'm growing a lot more flowers in the veg patch yes. to cut and bring in, but that also there are so many more British-grown flowers available at the moment for people to yeah. buy in shops generally, and I feel like that's become a lot easier, which mm -hmm. is great. And the flowers are really different. You know, they're stocks and cosmos and quite cottagey, blousy stuff yes. that sit in contrast to a lot of the things you might find in a petrol forecourt, for example. Um, and I was really enthused by it. And I know you were saying earlier that you've been super enthused by flowers and flowering and growing your own and well, so I on. Think the, I think the blousy stuff is because it's easier. It's, it's just more readily available. You know, it takes a lot more room and more effort to grow delphinium for example because they all need staking in and tying in um 
it mm. takes a bit more effort to sustain tulips for longer and to often if you grow tulips and cut them at home they don't last as long and um i'm trying to think of some other sort of classic things that you'd see in in the forecourt um and of course a lot of them are forced undercover as well so gerberas and mm. whatever. whereas you know i look out here and I suppose a lot of the traditional flowers in Britain are a bit more blousy and cottagey, aren't they? By, you know, the yeah. digitalis and lupins and, uh, but even lupins, you know, they, they, they take a bit of space and stuff. And once you've cut those off, it's gone. So whereas multi thin stems, when multiplied out, do look a bit sort of flowery, like catmint and cosmos and uh, perhaps dahlia to an extent where you get, if you mm. sacrifice a few from the garden, it doesn't matter too much. You still get a display in the garden, but you can bring some indoors. Whereas, you you know, the lupins are so big. Once you cut a couple of those off, you've got great big gaps in the garden, haven't you? Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I've started bringing in some of the peonies mm-hmm. as well, which look beautiful in the borders. But then I feel like it's the kind of... Same with dahlias. It's the kind of flower that you want to really properly sit and look at yes. for a bit because they're gobsmacking. Yeah. So I've been occasionally cheekily picking one or two and just having them in a in a vase on its what own. What I really like about peonies is how it changes. Like when they're a tight bud and they're just breaking, it's got a really lovely tight structure, almost spherical. You know, strictly spherical. It's gorgeous. And then you get the lovely bloom and then it blooms again. And then just towards their over, like mine, I have three in a vase in the living room and they just pop, they break. And then you end up with this huge, great big like dinner plate sort of display of petals. And it's not yeah. like roses where it all sort of collapse. They seem to stay just, it just changes the more that they bloom. Um, they yeah. look gorgeous. That's what I love. They're about such them. good doers, aren't they? And in this week's interview, there's a little tip about peonies as well, about how to prolong your peony displays and get a display for the winter as well. Oh, well, perhaps you should tell us about this interview because that is a super useful tip and I'm not at all surprised that it's one of <laughs> many tips and brilliant advice from this wonderful interview. Put us out of our um, out of our suspense. Well, one yes. of the things I know we always try to do when we're finding guests is to um, find people who have obviously a kindred spirit to us, to Cathy and I, but also to you, to our listeners as well, uh, that have an interesting story to tell. So you can tell by the way that they talk that they bring experience and passion and knowledge and experience. Um, mm. And this uh, week's special guest did not disappoint at all. A beautiful beginning uh, to set the scene and the tone of this interview and then some incredible tips and what an incredibly literally colourful life in flowers. This is the celebrity florist, the royal family's favourite florist. I don't know if that's official or not, but certainly enough of them have used him and love what he does. And the uh, floristry industries, um, what is he? Is he the, the Bert or the Ernie? He's probably not. He's the floristry industries. Um, I don't know, colourful character, flagship, Wonder Man. <laughs> Should have thought about that book more. <laughs> but the incredible Simon Lysett. Kathy is going to be super, super jealous of this. Super jealous because now she's a big veg grower, uh, but we both love flowers. And uh, I tried some cut flower garden here last year, decided to mix it up a bit this year, decided to kind of uh, put some... Uh, cut flowers sort of all over the place really because it forces me to walk around the garden a little bit but she i know has got lots of questions for you so i'm gonna make 
take full advantage of the fact that I get to speak to you today. Um, but before we get to the sort of sexy stuff, I want to know how you got into all of this. How do you go from, I don't know, whatever your childhood was and wherever you start your career journey to becoming this amazing sort of presence in the floristry world? And I'm sort of teasing people because I'm, I imagine some of that's going to come out in our chat today. So what, what's the journey? How do you get to where you are? Um, I've always been interested in flowers since the age of seven. I was born and brought up in Warwick, in hometown where my parents still live. Lovely, and lovely. I went to a Royal Horticultural Society affiliated allotment society show one August bank holiday when I was seven in the local park. And just being in that marquee, being amongst plants, flowers, people that are into plants and flowers, I immediately found my people. I became enthralled by it. And ever since then, I've known that I want to work with and amongst flowers, plants, and with people that work with flowers and plants and have an appreciation of them. And now I'm 54 and I'm really lucky that for all those years, I've been able to earn a living doing something I love. How lovely. So did you study floristry somewhere or was it something that you immersing yourself in it? You just sort of pick up yourself. Um, there was a neighbour of my parents, Norma, who still lives next door, but two. And <laughs> she used to she used to teach city and guilds floristry at a local college. And she used to do weddings for friends and for a lot of her um, sort of neighbours when their kids were getting married. So sure, she would do sure. the the flowers for them and I would sit in her garage so it was almost an apprenticeship I literally sat at her side and learned how to wire ivy leaves how to gutter and tape all the flowers that you do in that sort of old-fashioned old-school style of floristry and from that I discovered I had a natural ability I'm not brilliant at many things but the one thing I could innately do and it just felt and still feels so natural is floristry and flower arranging and I've never had a a lesson in my life properly and formally and now I'm arrogant enough to teach others <laughs> I love that well um, we probably don't have time to uh, whitewash this interview with those sorts of opinions but I think we're uh, we've become a, uh, a society that is obsessed with qualification mm. and uh, not enough about nurturing passion and innate talent actually but um, maybe that's for, for, another, for another podcast um, so so you get into you sort of fall into this and you decide you know what I'm going to have a bash at doing this myself and see if people will pay me to arrange their flowers. Is it sort of a, a usual? I mean, I'm totally not in the floristry scene. I've absolutely the only contact I've ever had is as a customer. So is it that you sort of decide, well, I'll tout myself as a florist and I'll pick up some funerals and some weddings and some birthdays? Is that the, the, the route in that you took? It's a bit like that. And so I would get a bit of press because I was entering local flower shows and winning some competitions when I was a young kid. I went to an all boys school, which in the 70s was quite a challenging environment for a boy that was interested in flowers sure, and flower sure. arranging. Um, it would now be called bullying. Then it was just considered, you know, that was what you put up with. Yeah. Um, uh, but when the school rugby club celebrated its centenary, I was asked to arrange the flowers for the school rugby club dinner. It was the nearest I was ever going to get to being in the rugby club. <laughs> but then as a result of that, 
You know, boys at school would ask me to arrange flowers for their parents for Mother's Day. Family and friends would ask me to arrange flowers. I did my first wedding for friends of my parents when I was 14. Um, and so it just, it grew and developed and it was a way of making some extra pocket money. Oh, lovely. And what a wonderful lesson there indeed for bullying as well, that it's often the people that are bullied that go on to actually achieve more interesting careers than those that do the bullying. So, Well, um, the school yeah. did invite me back. The headmaster who, I mean, they've had a fair change of headmasters and quite a change of regimes. And the school did ask me back to present prizes at the speech day. And wow. it was it was quite a strange thing thought and it took me several years to be persuaded to do it to go back because I had been so uncomfortable at the school and so I asked them they sent through I wanted to see all their LGBTQ plus policies I wanted to see what would happen to the seven-year-old Simon at the school now and it was really interesting and they had changed a great deal Um, and the head teacher asked me to go back and I went back and what warmed my heart was when I was at school, it was considered appropriate to have Enoch Powell presenting the prizes. Um, for any of your listeners that don't know, he was responsible in the sort of 70s and 80s for probably stirring up some of the most hateful, nasty um, and vitriolic um, racial um, discrimination that almost went into law for many sure. years. So. It felt like a huge step change that they were asking a gay florist that was an old boy to go back there. And so I went back and it was with immense joy that I was able to see that the school is a a much better environment for many people for many reasons now. God, Simon, that's one of the most wonderful stories I think we've ever had on this series and on, on the podcast at all. What a joyful full circle of, of genuine worth and value. It was a strange, you know, it was a really big ask and he persuaded me for many, many years and he said, you know, you will help the the boy that is you that is at the school now. And so I went and it was it was eye opening. And actually, I, I, I did say that I would imagine I mean, I, my opening lines were I went to I was attended Warwick School from the age of seven until I was 18. And it was horrible. <laughs> and several parents wrote to me or messaged me off that were in the audience and said the headmaster must have been nearly sick when you started with the opening line but actually it was a very different place then the world sure, was a different yeah. place now sure. it's a different place now i think doing being different is slightly easier i think we can celebrate the unique and the different in people there's more empathy i think one of the powers of social media is We can find our tribe, we can find our community easier, we can connect with them. Um, But it's still, yeah, the world is is tough and in a way it helps build a carapace. I think I'm fairly resilient these days, but it was, yeah, it was quite an upbringing. Now, lovely, what a privilege, what a real privilege to be able to do that. Now, I don't want to tease anybody any longer, okay, but if they haven't seen your body of work, which let me say, I... You, you have been on our list of people we'd like to interview three times and twice I've not bothered. I've said there's no way he'll do it. Like the guy's like, look at his work. Like he does all of this stuff. This is incredible. You won't have the time. You won't want to do it. So you have no idea how excited I am about this. If and we'll, we'll do social media at the end and people can come see your stuff if they've not seen it. But you have quite the clientele, Simon, don't you? I mean, you've got 
quite an interesting amount of people that will come seek you out to, to arrange flowers to make their events special for them. We're lucky. I mean, we're talking as we're hopefully starting to work our way out of lockdown, which yes. has been a, a very challenging period for many people. For those of us in the events-based industry, it's been particularly challenging. So generally speaking, we don't do any retail. We do flowers for events, weddings, parties. I used to have a team of 14 and we would literally travel around the world creating incredible flowers in amazing venues for clients that had fabulously healthy budgets and wanted us to really make a difference with flowers and that was our life and has been it's been my business for 30 years so it's it's been hard um but we're lucky we've worked in incredible places we've worked with royalty footballing royalty <laughs> film stars so yeah we're we're very lucky we work with amazing creative people in incredible venues to be able to work within the art galleries in Paris and be in a room with Monet's paintings on the walls and be in the room totally alone for five minutes when people have queued for hours yes. is a very privileged thing to do. So I'm hugely lucky. And I think in the last year, more than ever, I've realised just how lucky I am. Now, you can't drop things like that and not tell us some of your standout moments because there must be... I mean, it's a huge amount of events and, and people to meet in such a incredibly, literally colourful career. Uh, but yes. There must be a few that stand out, either in people or flowers or displays or venues. Yeah, I mean, we transporting flowers up the Grand Canal in an open barge to decorate a party was ridiculous and fabulous and just... <laughs> The most spectacular. I mean, I adore Venice. We work in, we go to Venice a lot. We work in Venice relatively frequently. And just moments like that are ridiculously spectacular. And I was lucky that my husband was out there whilst we were working. He came out and uh, he knew the route we were taking. So he went and stood on the Rialto Bridge and <laughs> took some pictures of us literally travelling up the Grand Canal in these two huge open barges filled with flowers. And that's just, it's its life-affirming and sure. fabulous and ridiculous all in one go. And then I'm lucky I meet, you know, I've met Her Majesty the Queen several times. We've worked on the Prince of Wales's wedding when he married the Duchess of Cornwall. Um, that's extraordinary, working within Windsor Castle. The very first time I went to Windsor Castle for a meeting, I was the event planner I was working with looked me up and down and said to me, you might wish to um, wear a tie. It was sort of the best that she could get that I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I mean, I think initially they'd like some of the piercings to have come out, but that wasn't going to happen. So um, it was extraordinary to be at Windsor in the state apartments after the great fire after all the restoration sure, sure. and we i was told that the queen might attend the meeting and i thought there's no way she'll be far too busy with other things mm. anyway it's just like people say in the films a door two corridors down opened and some corgis emerged and then in came the queen the wow. woman that's on my stamps and on my money and came and we had conversations about flowers and tablecloths wow. and that you know, that's extraordinary and as I left 
I'm not phased by much, but as I left, I wanted to run down Windsor High Street shouting, I've just met the Queen. I mean, it was, it was so super exciting and magical. And I've been lucky to meet Her Majesty on several occasions since and to work with various members of the household and family. And it's just extraordinary and very, very special. It sounds incredible, Simon. I mean... Really does. I'm a t- tiny bit jealous. Now, let's go full circle because we're looking forwards. Now, I, at risk of offending you, I'm going to say it how it is. All right? <laughs> now, this won't necessarily apply to you directly, but I'm interested in your thoughts. Because there doesn't seem to be, when I reflect and look, I think, you know, what, what's changed in the floristry world? Now, as somebody who's not in the floristry world, it's possibly uh, a pointless uh, reflection. But I think, well, you, you, you know, interflora and being able to ring up somebody and deliver flowers has been around for years. I suppose the only thing that's changed recently is the fact that now they fit through a letterbox. There's that sort of slight gimmick that, you know, you can get them all flat and someone will show you on a QR code how to arrange them. Um, I say someone. Um, <laughs> someone else might be doing it now as well, but um, I'm sure he still does it. Um, uh, and then I was thinking, well, what? where do you go from there? Like, what? what is there to do? So I'm interested to know how you sustain this incredible position that you have, um, but also how you sustain continuing to arrange flowers. Because as we see now, you know, I guess it's a bit easier to learn how to do flowers. I'm sort of naively nudging this question towards you, I guess. Um, But what do you think the future of floristry is? Is it simply about being bigger, better, more loud, more grand, more unusual? Or is there something else? I think one of the things that I've really noticed with, I think social media has made a massive difference because you can get a glimpse into other people's worlds and you can see other people's work, which is incredibly invigorating. And I think there's a a suspicion that actually florists are a relatively competitive group. And whilst we are competitive, we're also quite supportive and there's quite a community of florists and creatives within the horticultural and floral world. And I think the real difference I've noted, there are several differences. One of the differences is almost anybody thinks they can now be a florist. (laughs) Um, And the current trend of a mismatched assortment of vases and vessels, be it a, a vintage bottle that's rather cute, an old jam jar, something from your granny's cupboard, That, when combined with a slightly mismatched assortment of eclectic flowers that are garden-gathered, all looks very charming and can be incredibly enchanting. But nearly always, any of those posts that people see on social media are so curated that it's a slightly false version of what flower arranging and floristry is. And there is also, therefore, a feeling that, well, anybody can do it. And there is a huge spate of new arrangers and florists who I do think "Mm, in 5, 10, 15 years time, where will you be with your business? Because I've had my business for 30 years and had to evolve and change. And everything that we do needs, I never want to do what I did yesterday, tomorrow. We're lucky that our raw materials keep us fresh. So as I'm creating something now with gorgeous English sweet peas, with beautiful English peonies, I'm thinking to myself, Imagine doing this when the dahlias are around or imagine doing this with hyacinth. So that keeps the ideas constantly refreshed. The seasons help to refresh us. Um, But also 
I need and I want florists that create and anybody that works for me has to be capable of doing the gamut from A to Z of doing all of it. And I think one of the interesting things, which is why I agreed to be a judge on the Interflora Bloom Off uh, series on Instagram TV that's airing at the moment, is because in lockdown, the flower supply was really challenging last year. And so Interflora shops had always had a very prescribed recipe that you would go in and order number three and it would come in red or green or blue or orange, but you couldn't really very very much so it was quite restrictive for the florists and the customers so the change was that because flower supply was quite random and a little bit unknown interflora suddenly made a florist's choice bouquet which suddenly meant that you could just say to your florist this is how much i want to spend and this would be my ideal color palette but fill your boots make what you want so suddenly interflora florists and flower shops up and down the country were able to be much more creative in doing what they do best rather than making this prescribed arrangement so People got a better arrangement. They got something that felt more seasonal, that had a little bit more resonance to it. And I think it really opened a lot of people's eyes at the same time as people were spending more time at home, enjoying being in their home, getting to shop locally, buying from their local flower shops and farmers markets. So that has been an incredible change that I've seen really in the last year, which has combined within the floristry industry, which I think is worldwide, certainly Europe, UK and America based of trying to work in a more sustainable way. So those blocks of green stuff that are known as oasis that crumbly green brick that we soak and arrange flowers into isn't particularly sustainable it's not a great um it's a source of microplastics it's not a great thing to have in the environment so as much as possible we try and encourage people not to use it some of the venues we work in insist because we aren't allowed standing water for historical and conservation reasons so there is a big conversation happening about the sustainability of the way we work and also about the plant material and next week sees the start of british flowers week which is a celebration that new covent garden flower market have been pioneering for eight years of really just enjoying the seasonality of what is beautiful and british and grown in the way that we're excited about the first asparagus and jersey royals now we want to shout about the british sweet peas and peonies and cornflowers so there is definitely a movement towards being aware of the provenance of the plant material you work with and letting those that work with it do their thing best, which is just create. I love that. I love that very much. I had something recently um, which was not at all flowers. It was a fruit arrangement, but were made to look like flowers. And instead of oasis, it was stuffed into a, um, it was a lettuce that was wrapped up in, I think, parchment paper, and they'd use that to sort of arrange it. I thought that was ingenious. Um, You can uh, slice the top off a watermelon and use it as a water source to arrange flowers. It works well. as a water source, yes, absolutely, yeah. Look at that, all the free tips here on this podcast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now, your analogy actually reminded me of something. Your analogy, you said, you know, it feels like anybody feels that they can be a florist. And I suppose the analogy is similar to dancing as much that anybody can turn around in a circle or move their leg, their leg. But, when but when you watch you know, you know ballet rombe or, 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 or 
or Matthew Bourne or somebody, it's it's miles away from what you would do in your living room. And I suppose the same thing is with floristry. Anybody can chuck some flowers in a jam jar and say that's nice because the flowers are nice. But it's very different to seeing a wonderful bouquet or display where an awful lot of creative thought and element has gone into creating what you see. Um, which is what we see with with you. So talking of this, that's arranging at home really quick because we're heading towards the end of this. And this is yet another brilliant one that I could spend an hour talking to you. So um, uh, if your address is on your website, you might want to keep your door locked. So where, where is I should be right around saying I want to talk more tips for our listeners on arranging at home? Maybe they've got a little bit of garden or a balcony. Uh, maybe they haven't. Maybe they just want to go and pick up some stems from somewhere or that maybe they're walking and they see some grasses or something. Have you got any sort of, you know, must have top tips to really create something lovely at home? I think arranging, if you're going to grow to arrange, I would say plant yourself a bucket of mint. Find an old bucket, make a hole in it and stick some mint or some lemon balm in. Something that's fairly vociferous and will grow and grow and grow. Because that's a great source of foliage throughout the summer months. So cut some stems of mint, cut some lemon balm. It will smell beautiful and be a really lovely, inexpensive foliage. And then that can be used to augment your flowers, whether they're something that you cut from your garden. And again, things like cornflowers, nigella marigolds, cosmos, any of those are easy peasy to grow. We're talking now on the 1st of June, you've still got time to throw some seeds in the garden and get those out. And if you're growing cosmos, cornflowers, scabious, nigella, you're going to have flowers right the way through to frost in October. And you can, if you keep cutting, you'll keep getting flowers. And that will give you a really beautiful handful of blooms. And you might then augment them with one or two stems you buy from your local farmer's market or florist. Choose a few heroes. So you've almost got your, if we're using the ballet analogy, we've got the the corps de ballet and then we have the prima ballerinas or the principal dancers, which might be three or four gorgeous garden roses or a couple of dahlias or delphinium you've cut or something that you've bought. So you have your supporting cast, which you arrange, and then you thread in your last moments. Keep your water clean, so strip off lower leaves, cut woody stems so that they take up water, try and change the water frequently, and just enjoy your arrangement. It's We're not making iron lungs and saving lives. We're arranging flowers for personal enjoyment and pleasure, so there shouldn't be too many rules. And as long as you follow a few basic such as keeping the stems clean so the water stays fresher longer change the water keep them hydrated you'll enjoy your arranging and before you know where you are people will have a little bunch of flowers on the kitchen windowsill or on the dining table week in week out and the joy you get from that is manifold I was going to ask you what your top flowers were to grow but you've sort of uh, answered that but I've got a, a real quick question before we do this um wrap up i've got this uh, quick fire quiz round for you so much you you don't know the questions um but uh, i'm hoping they're going to be interesting answers what about the winter so you know this time of the year and throughout the summer easy peasy and even in spring to a degree because you've got daffs and that's nice and easy i suppose daffs and grasses always looks really nice um what, but what about the sort of latter months and through the winter how do you cope with that i mean i suppose for you it's a little different because you have international suppliers right but We have international suppliers, but I would say that the evergreen foliage we get in the months of November, December and January are joyous. So just as it's wonderful to create an arrangement now using sorbus and birch 
and branches of beautiful translucently green beech. It's also wonderful in October, November, December to embrace those warm autumnal shades and then things like Garia elliptica with its lovely green tassels, beautiful cornus, that lovely dogwood with its yes. lacquer red stems. All of that foliage is vibrant and takes on a whole new meaning. Stems of camellia that got a little plump bud lurking. If you cut those early and bring them inside, suddenly that glossy green foliage will have nestled amongst it a little flower that gives some colour. So there's always something around and about. I garden in London in a tiny garden where everything's in pots apart from one raised bed. And throughout the winter months, I'll have hellebores, I'll have cornus, I will have an assortment. I let lots of things seed in the garden. So the seed heads of poppies yeah. will suddenly, I'll discover they've all gone skeletonized in December and January. So those in a vase with some skeletonized hydrangea heads I found in a border look beautiful. Yes. So there's always something to be found. I love this. So let's get to this quick fire quiz because I know you're super busy. I'd imagine there's, I don't know, emails are pinging in and there's people from Monaco to Venice to Sydney that are asking you to be at their wedding. Um, it's given me a great idea for a party I've come out, Simon. I might have to invite you. Now, <laughs> it's this quick fire quiz. Don't think about it. There's no stress. It's not a personality test. It's just a bit of fun. All right, here we go. The first thing that comes to your mind, question one, dogs or cats? Dogs. Oh, yes. Brilliant. Very well done. You've gone into our top five guests already. He's sitting at my side. He's just on the floor. Oh, do we get to know which dog? Stan. Stan. And what is Stan? What breed? So Stan is a Romanian rescue. He's oh. a very troubled soul that was found on a rubbish dump in Romania and has been with us for five years. And he's a very troubled soul. He's very challenging, but he loves us and we love him. Oh, bless you. I had one of those as well. I rescued one at 13 weeks that had, when you look through the behaviour index, he had all of them, a tick next to everything. You just gradually work your way through and give them a wonderful yes. life. So good for you. Um, question two, take away or eat in? Eat in. Oh, good. And do you cook? Cook. Uh, question three, this is slightly controversial. I did, the, the, the answer might be actually be obvious, but slightly controversial. You never know. This is why I asked. Peonies or pansies? Pansies. Oh, so that's the controversy, right? I thought you'd have gone for peonies. Now, that, uh, no, So why pansies? Because you can't really arrange with pansies, can you? You can, but you'd arrange the most beautiful bowl of pansies that would sit on your garden table for months. And if you deadheaded and watered, it would flower and look like a joy for months. And might flower. I mean, I've got, a pot of violas in my garden in full flower that have been flowering since October when they were used as bulb toppers. And a peony, I don't even grow a peony because they take up too much space. They're prima donnas, they're fussy. <laughs> they produce a few magical blooms, but I would never cut my own peonies, I'm too mean. But the joy of a peony in the garden is that its foliage in the autumn months turns the most magical colours and yes, is great yes. in an arrangement. Yeah, yeah. You can strip it at the end. <laughs> Sod the flowers. We'll just wait for the nice leaves. Um, question four, green or yellow? Green. I love yellow, but green. <laughs> you can't have both. So it's a quick fire round. And, and question five, are you a reader? So book or music? Oh. A book whilst listening to music. <laughs> 
and therein we have all we need to know about your character and your personality um so listen simon if people haven't already signed up to you on instagram crazy crazy people uh, where can we find you and also let's hear about this new book as well so I am at Simon Lysert and it's L-Y-C-E-T-T and that's on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to have a little look in the gallery on my website, it's also Simon Lysert. And I have two books that have been recently published as The Flower Market Year and People of the Flower Market, available from your independent small bookshops or via Amazon. Or if you like, you can buy them from Simon's shop absolutely perfect simon it's been a joy and a pleasure thank you very much indeed i'm going to enjoy wallowing and basking in your reflected glory uh, when i get back to speaking with kathy thank you so much for your time it's a pleasure jason thank you it's lovely to talk to someone with an equally spectacular moustache what an absolute angel he's such an incredible man i loved every second of that kathy really interesting i had a bit of a wobble at the end when he said he preferred pansies to peonies i thought oh i don't think we can be friends (laughs) and then Ah. when he explained why i i kind of almost forgive him for it but it's a sign of how much i liked the rest of the chat (laughs) that i'm prepared to forgive him for liking pansies so much (laughs) but it's an interesting way of thinking about it isn't it you know i only ever really thought about vases and and uh little cut bud vases and stuff you know flowers in in vases and yeah. And actually, he's saying, well, you just think about it as flowers rather than what you're putting them in. You know, what how you get there is almost irrelevant. It's the flower is the star of the show. Pansy yeah. is great. Look after it and you get it for, you know, a long, long time. But I j- Great bang for buck. Right. And I liked that he was thinking like that as well. That shows to me that he's still down to earth, despite all the exciting and adventurous things he does. He's still ultimately thinking about whether you've got flowers in your house on your kitchen table and yes they can be pansies exactly. I love that and, and I loved I know we've only just come out of the interview but just to reiterate I mean the thought of this happening I loved that story of him being at the royal event and the event planner looking him up and down and saying you might want to and then desperately trying to think about how to change him to make him look a little more conservative and then she comes out with you might want to wear a tie <laughs> I just just imagine it happening, uh, but good good on him, you know. And when, when and he said, you know, I wouldn't if she was going to tell me to take the piercings out, that wasn't going to happen. You're there to see my creation and what I can create, not uh, you know, not how I wish to express myself. But what a gent! It's inspiring stuff on so many levels. Yes, it is. Brilliant! Yes, it Thank is. you so much to Simon for joining the podcast. We're really glad to have him. Um, so. I guess that segues neatly and smoothly into vegetable of the episode this week, Kathy. <laughs> does it? It does. You might not okay. realise that, but it does. Uh-oh. Because vegetable of the episode this week is, I use it mainly for flowers because I'm not a big fan of the actual vegetable. Okay. So we're still on flowers. This is impressive. Right? Okay. Look at me. Uh-huh. Uh, so I cut the flowers off, the tall stems and the flowers. You taught me when you came here in one of the videos that we'll link to in the show notes and on Instagram, when we did our Organic Eats and Garden Treats little series, you showed me that you can eat them and they're really delicious, the little yellow flowers. Of course, it's fennel. And I like cutting Excellent. off the big, tall, fluffy bits and putting them in vases because they look absolutely stunning. But I've never been overly keen on the aniseed taste. So... What do we do with a... Uh, oh, hang on. Are you going to tell me it's a herb, not a vegetable? 
No, no, it can be both. <laughs> Today. <laughs> <laughs> Today. It can be both. So there are two different types of fennel. Oh. There's the wild fennel, which there's many different types of fennel, but there's two sort of categories. So there's the wild fennel that we grow in the garden, mm-hmm. uh, which set seed like you wouldn't believe, yeah. right? And can often be bronze fennel or green fennel. But what it doesn't do is form a bulb, right. for want of a better term, at its base, like a, a swollen yes. base that you can eat. Florence fennel is the stuff you eat the base of. It doesn't grow as many flowers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't grow as big because it's been bred to focus all its attention yes. on this bulb, which isn't technically a bulb because it grows above the ground and it's got a taproot underneath it. But it's been bred to be a fed- eating vegetable yes. as opposed to just being a herb. So let's talk about the vegetable yes. first. Um, it's a bit of a pig to grow. Mm. If, you, if you've got soil that grows it you'll be fine. But if you haven't, if you struggle with it, you've got no wow. hope. It's one of those either or yeah. kind of... Um, it's very sensitive to cold. So it likes quite a long growing season, which is difficult to do in the UK because if it gets too cold, too so you, know, you can't do it until late May. Mm-hmm. You can't start them until late May and they might not have enough time before the frost set in to, to come good. But if they do, uh, dig one up and... Fine, really finely slice it. You could use a really sharp knife, mm. raw, or you could use a, one of those mandolin yeah. slicers, not the banjo, <laughs> the mandolin, the, the knife variety. Uh, but watch your fingers because they're lethal. Um, or knife, even a potato thing. peeler, a speed peeler will work as well. Oh, so just Into like little really shavings? Shavings, oh, wow. really thin slices. And then toss those in a little bit of lemon juice because they brown really, really quickly. Then do the same with some apple and slice that in too. So we're going for a slaw type vibe. And then at that point, there's a couple of ways you can go. You can either put a mayonnaise type dressing in it, maybe with some walnuts chopped in and mix all of that together with some salt and maybe a bit more lemon juice. Or what I like to do is make a really mustardy honey vinaigrette. Yes. So mustard, honey, olive oil, uh, lemon juice or vinegar and salt. You know, one of those really nice, thick Mm -hmm. French Mm -hmm. vinaigrettes and pour that over your apple and fennel and possibly some walnuts in there as well. Maybe a few herbs, some parsley or some fennel fronds if you've got them. That as a raw slaw is so good with um, either something quite punchy like mackerel like pan fried mackerel um or with something very sweet and soft like goat's cheese really nice i was thinking as you said it i mean i don't eat really much meat anymore but uh, and i probably certainly wouldn't eat this unless i knew it was from but parma ham or something like um yes that would be nice yeah what's the lovely parma ham's an interesting one because you can buy organic parma ham um, which helps, mm-hmm. and it's made in a collective, so that helps mm-hmm. as well with standards. And unlike other meats, it's not; it doesn't have nitrates in it, so yeah. that's good too. That's very interesting. So, yeah. Well, I quite like that um, as a vegetable of the week. 
Um, on the herb side of things... A bonus. Yeah, bonus. If you haven't got Florence fennel and you've just got the wild... in Lots of people have it as a border plant because yes. they're brilliant. And as you said, the thing to do there is either eat the very small shoots, the very early flower leaves. Yes, yeah. Very, um, very, very bright as, green ones, the young. Yeah, yeah, they get a bit woody and a bit chewy when they're a bit older, yeah. but the young ones are great as a, a herb in pretty much anything. When they flower, as we discovered last summer when I came to visit, the yellow pollen-filled uh, buds are... So sweet yeah. and so aniseedy, and they're great with puddings. So they're great on top of cakes, just a lemon drizzle cake, and you'll think, Ooh. oh, it's a normal lemon drizzle cake. And then someone bites into it and they go, oh, but honey, yes. but aniseed, yeah. but floral, but I don't understand. Same over um, oh, vanilla oh, ice cream or something like that. Delicious. I yeah. love this. What I love is that you've got the both things you've got the grow and the eat. That's the plan. All we need But now. fennel's definitely one to my only sorry, my only um caveat with fennel is that it is it's not invasive like mint is in that it'll grow, it'll just keep the roots will just sure. keep going. But it self-seeds almost to the point of distraction. It does go everywhere, doesn't it? And also mm. into anything, because I've got a gravel path in the vegetable garden and and I'm forever picking bits of it out yeah. of the Yeah. Do you know what I did yeah. one day? Which I like. Mm. It was quite a lot of it. I noticed it. Because it's very fine, so you can miss it for weeks. And then all of a sudden you think, well, that's a bit darker there, isn't it? Then when you look, you think, oh, crikey, there's tons of this stuff. So I got onto my knees and I, and I leant down with my head, the side of my head on the gravel, very gently. And sort of, very, you know, be careful because it's, it's a little uncomfortable. And I looked down the side and I imagined I was a very tiny little person. And it looked like a forest like a sort of woodland of, of fennel. And I thought, this is what it would be like if I was, I don't know, half an inch tall. Be like a little tiny... Yeah. Good. So, um... Well, everyone, if you'd like to donate to <laughs> Jezza's therapy sessions, you can do so. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, don't email he's fine the, word, the words uh, the worlds that we miss out on you see um it's true we're talking of being very tiny how is hadley has he woken up yet or is he still <laughs> where is he oh he's migrated from his oh. bed under the desk to uh stretched out oh. big stretch in the side oh, just lovely. to let me know he's definitely listening <laughs> Uh, in in the in the study, and he's on good form. It's a bit hot for long runs, yeah. but we tried an early run this morning, which he very much enjoyed, and he had the most hilarious sneezing fit. I wish I'd had my phone with me. <laughs> we arrived in this field, which we hadn't been in for a while, and it was just buttercups as far as the oh, eye could lovely. see. And they were about, about head height yes. for him, which he loves yes. running through those. I think it must tickle his tummy or something. Probably. So he went careering through these buttercups, came back to a halt, having gone in his big spaniel-shaped yeah. loop, which is what they do. They're like hares. They run in loops. Um, and came back to me covered in, like, confetti of uh, buttercups, sat down and then just started sneezing. 
unstoppably for about two minutes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like it when they get like a little bit of grass or something stuck at there, and it's always very dramatic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious. I like that very much. Um, Bless him. How's Marley Pops? He's all right. We've, we've, in the last sort of couple of days, he's suddenly turned a little corner and gone back to being a puppy again. It's really nice. We've had such a terrible time with his legs, and now all of a sudden he's found a little bit of energy from somewhere. Um, but Ray. what I was going to say is, um, when Simon was talking about his rescue dog, his poor rescue dog, and how he's a little mm. bit troubled, I really sympathise with that because when I got Marley when he was a young puppy, he had every problem under the sun. You know, you turn to the back yeah. of the behaviour problems book and you tick all of the different boxes. Um, uh-uh. And I learned very quickly that if there was going to be need to be so much training with Moo that I couldn't just give him treats. You know, A, it was really expensive. And I looked at the back of them and I did a good old bit of research. This is obviously, you know, 10 years ago. 11 years ago, um, and there was just mm. nothing on out there other than just rubbish. It was full of preservatives and, and you know, packed full of sweeteners and all this kind of jazz. So very quickly, I got Marley onto carrot and cucumber. Those are his two sort of, you know, go-to. Genius. Right? Frozen peas, he absolutely loves. I scatter feed, I throw the frozen peas over the lawn, he goes and, you know, and snuffles them. He loves a clementine and an orange, segment by segment. One for me, one for the dog, two for me, one for the dog, three for me, one for the dog. Um, uh, courgette, he absolutely loves a courgette. Parsnips he'll eat. Uh, Brussels sprouts sometimes, not all the time. A whole egg. Uh, sometimes He used to eat the eggshells. Oh, a whole egg. Probably loves that. Yeah, yeah. Take that out. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Do you not get, how can I put it, consequences from an egg, a raw egg? Kathy, he's a Labrador. You live with the consequences. There's conse- <laughs> There are daily consequences, believe me. Like a... <laughs> <laughs> significant amount of consequences um but he's like a vegetarian he's i mean obviously he does eat meat he has his normal food as well dear listener don't worry i don't just you know feed him on that he won't eat a tomato so i uh interesting hadley's big into veg as well he particularly likes pea shells he likes just crunching okay. them he doesn't eat them he just sort of I don't know, bites into them and likes the texture. But well, he's the same as well. Cucumbers he loves very much. That's, has Hadley ever found the vegetables? Does he know where they are? Is he a stealer? Uh, oh, he's not a stealer. He knows no. far better than to do that. So I will see... Have you no. ever seen the film How to Train Your Dragon? Oh, yes. Right, so you know the Night Fury... Yes. That's Marley. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. <laughs> so, what I will... I've never found anyone another grown up. <laughs> I have to talk to children about this film. I love these films. I have to talk to children about them because all grown ups look at me like I'm odd. Uh, I knew we'd be friends. Yeah, yeah. Too. I know, right? There we go. So, we can talk more about that. And of course, the second one's really good okay. too. Um, so, I was also, anyway. digging up some weeds and then Night Fury esque style, this black flash goes past me I look to my left and I'm looking at the bum of a Labrador with a very wiggly tail and on one side of the bum profile so he's running away from me there's a, a sort of a lot of greenery flopping like that and on the other side is a very long piece of carrot as he's dug his own <laughs> carrot and run off with it because he knows he's not supposed to do it uh, uh, yeah so it's a good job it's adorable isn't it's a it? good job he is adorable is what it's a good job mm. Kathy. Anyway, we come to the end of yet another episode. We are romping through these. Are we allowed to say that? Are we racing? Maybe we're just racing through them. I don't know. We're doing both. I love it. It's so it's such a hoot. It's lovely to catch up with your 
uh, dog antics and the veg and the garden every week and share the summer with everyone. We're loving all the chat on Instagram. Yes. You can find us at Roots Wings Podcast. Um, tell us what you think of our preferred choice of cartoons <laughs> and, <I'm... laughs> and and other things and share your pictures with us particularly of your floral arrangements after simon's beautiful right interview. absolutely i'm very much looking forward to oh and edible flowers we didn't get a chance to touch on that this episode but we'll have to maybe pick oh. up that another time but show us your edible yes. flowers in situ i'd like to see mm. uh, chives and calendula and daisies and uh, other things that you can eat on arrangements of um, violas, uh, not the stringed instrument, but the, you know, the flowers <laughs> on your salads. Um, and then we'll have great merch news next week as well. I'm excited about the merch. Will we be wearing the merch yes, by next episode, we do will. you think? Yes. <gasps> well, tune in then, dear reader, listener. <laughs> dear because, reader, listener. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> watcher listener tune in then dear listener because it's going to be a sight let me tell I'm you i'm just writing a little note now because i forgot to put the one in the post for you so just doing that now <laughs> please do um please it's do. not the same not being together kathy but hopefully very soon we can start to do uh, a couple of special episodes with us uh, together rather than in this zoomy style this zoomy style definitely well and i'm going out to visit one of our um, interviewees shortly Amazing. so we'll have that on location which will be fun and then we too will be on location together again very soon I'm very sure. soon well I guess that's it for this week if you haven't subscribed already please do because of course they're weekly now and if you don't subscribe you might not know that we've uh, even been there because lord knows I forget uh, and if you haven't uh, um, rated them do rate them as well five stars is all you need pass it on to a friend <laughs> we love a good review as well so thank you alright well that is it for this week we'll be back next week of course with more fantastic celebrity special guests next week is a really good one as well and something a little bit special as well of course book of the week as well with the wonderful Cathy and of course the not so wonderful but still still here unfortunately Jez say goodbye Cathy <laughs> bye guys <laughs> bye